0: So, I bought this old school uh, phone headset when it was floating around the Facebook ads a few months ago, and I had to get one. It plugs right into your cell phone, and so you can feel like you're back in the 20th century uh, talking to your friends and family, and it works pretty well. It took me a while to find it. This past week, uh, I wanted to show it to you because ever since I got it, which is, um, it's been sitting in one of our drawers, which is pretty typical. Uh, when you buy an online novelty item on a whim. So cute though, isn't it? Don't you want one? I'll sell it to you, I'll give it to you. Uh, Speaking of phones, my daughter Lisa called me last week and since I haven't heard from her for at least two or three weeks, I decided to lay some Jewish guilt on her. So when she asked, how are you dad? I said, I'm not doing so good, honey. I haven't been able to eat anything for a couple of weeks. And she said, what's wrong dad, Are, are are you sick? I said, no, I haven't been able to eat because I've been constantly sitting by my phone and I was afraid I'd miss your call. You know what's worse than a dad joke? A Jewish dad joke. So on a more serious note, my dad passed away. Oh, It's been, it's been over eight years now and ever since he passed away, I've been calling my mom every day and a lot of the days, twice a day. Um, and we use FaceTime, believe it or not, to chat um, so we can see each other. But she always has her head right at the bottom of the screen and so most of the time all i see is just the wall and the painting behind her but she's 93 years old she's pretty tech savvy for her age she has a a macbook pro she has an ipad pro and she has an iphone 8 and she sends texts and she emails and she plays texas hold'em and solitaire online and she does get into tech trouble sometimes about once or twice a month she calls me and says something like "Gene, I I need some help you know that thing that pops up on my screen it won't go away And I'll go what thing mom She, you know and I what screen are you talking about? She says you know that thing that pops up on my screen. That's the only information I get so welcome to my world so before we begin today's message i'd like you to think about how many times you make calls on your devices each day whether it's an audio call or a video call or even a text whatever way that you connect to others on your devices what's your best guess on how much time you spend doing this each and every day which my suspicion is that that time has increased quite a bit since the onset of this pandemic uh, a few months ago. And I'm not asking this question to pass any judgment on how much time you spend each day connecting to others on your, di- your devices. This is not one of those guilt invoking messages. I personally happen to love how technology makes our lives easier, especially when it comes to connecting to each other during uh, this pandemic. And I'm making connections all the time And I'm really thankful that we have these tech tools today to stay connected, especially in light of COVID-19. So can you imagine what it was like to stay connected uh, to your friends and family during the 1918 Spanish flu epidemic? I mean, yeah, there were crude telephones in use by that time, but the connections were often spotty. Not everyone could afford one. And if you could afford one those days, you were typically linked together with 10 or more people sharing one line. We've come a long way since Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone and made the first call on March 10th, 1876. And I'm thankful for all the technological advances that have been made ever since. So I'm not asking this question to invoke any guilt in you. I'm asking this question to set the stage to talk about the most important call you can ever make. And that call is the one you make to God during the most challenging and desperate seasons of your life. Because the technology to make that call is not only the most advanced technology on this planet, it's been around since the beginning of time. King Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that we all go through difficult seasons a time or two or even more in our lives. Everyone. And he covers the whole spectrum of those seasonal challenges. Here's what he says in verses 3 through 8 in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter three. a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. That sounds like today, huh? Time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Aren't we doing that? A time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. That about covers it all, doesn't it? So if you haven't had a challenge or a desperate season in your life yet, hang on because you will. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And someday you're going to need to make the kind of call that we're going to talk about today. We're continuing in our series called Bereshit, Beginnings, and uh, looking at ancient Hebrew words through the first chapters in the book of Genesis. Our, he- our ancient Hebrew word for today is pronounced kara, kara, kara and it means to call. And the very first time this word is used in our Bible, to call upon God, is found at the end of Genesis chapter four. A little background first, remember in Genesis chapter one, God creates the universe, it shows his power and his creativity, In Genesis chapter 2, we have a second creation account built upon relationships now. From this point on, uh, man is going to be, it's important for man to to have relationships and to keep them healthy. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve disobey God. They're banished from the garden. In Genesis 4, Adam and Eve have two sons, uh, but the older one, Cain, murders his younger brother, Abel. Not a great start, right, to what is going to be a very lengthy tale, And I hate to be a spoiler, it's not going to get better anytime soon. And if you're hoping for a romantic comedy, you might want to move on because this is more of a suspense thriller, and I have to warn you, it's going to get pretty gnarly at times, just like our lives can get pretty gnarly at times. Now, when we get to the end of chapter 4, we hear how God gives Adam and Eve another son, and they name him Seth. And we see... Uh, they see him as a gift from God for the loss of their second son, Abel. Seth grows up, he marries, he has a son named Enosh. Most scholars date the birth of Enosh at, at least 200 years past the birth of Cain and Abel. And so we're looking at a considerable amount of time that has elapsed since God banished Adam and Eve out of the garden to prevent them from eating from the etzchaim, the tree of life that Brian taught about last week which i think um, makes the last sentence in our passage today more intriguing which is this at that time people began to call upon the name of the lord that's genesis 4:26. 26 kara is often described cried out in our bibles because many times the context for the usage of this word is about men and women of the Bible who are going through a really challenging and desperate season of life. Um, and, and we don't know much about what's happening at the moment, this moment in time that might be leading these people to begin to call out on God. The sentence just seems to jump off the page out of nowhere without any context. At that time people began to call upon the name of the Lord. Why? Well, since we don't know, um, since we do know that just a few chapters later God is going to flood the earth because the world has become flooded with evil, maybe these people are crying out to God because things are already rapidly degrading and it's becoming very difficult to maintain a godly life. Hmm. Sounds a lot like what's going on right now, doesn't it? Am I the only one who thinks the global wills? are beginning to come off right now? I mean, I keep asking myself the question, where are we headed? What's it gonna look like in our world by the end of this year, by next year? The wheel bolts are very loose right now, it seems like, and I really don't know what's, what it's gonna take before those wheels come flying right off. I hope they don't, but something's going on. We seem to be in the midst of some kind of global revolution, but unlike other revolutions, it's difficult to clearly define what the battle is over or who the sides are even. And maybe a better phrase than global revolution would be global chaos, driven by six billion different agendas. In a sense, because of the astonishing rise of self-centered individualism, driven largely by the social media phenomenon We've all become Karens. At least that's what it feels like to me. And so we don't know for sure what's going on at the end of Genesis chapter 4, that people are beginning to cry out to God at this particular time in God's thriller. But just maybe the willnuts nuts are loosening up enough like they are today. And many back then are beginning to cry out to God for that reason. From my personal experience as a pastor now for over 30 years and just my own personal life, we tend to cry out more to God during times of challenge and desperation. Or as the quote goes, there's no atheists in foxholes. The Bible is full of examples of both men and women who cried out. Abraham, Sarah, Moses, Samuel, Ruth, Elijah, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Paul, Peter, I mean, almost everyone in the Bible became what I affectionately call a crybaby, devolving into something equivalent to taking on a fetal position while making a gut-wrenching plea for help to God. The depth of emotional pain during these seasons of life can be absolutely crippling at times. So I want to tell you a story, a personal story. I'm extremely self-conscious about sharing this with you. But Andrea and I, those of you that know us and have kind of logged on to our life and our history, know that we've experienced way too many of these seasons in our lives. Way too many. And unfortunately, we have many personal stories to share on this subject. But let me share just one of those crybaby seasons in our lives that took place when I left working for my family's business. This is before I'm a believer, before I'm attending church, before I came out here. I began working in my family's business in my early 20s. It was a pretty secure job. I made a comfortable salary, but it was a very toxic environment. I wasn't exactly the epitome of emotional health back then, so please don't see my family as the bad guys in this story. It was a collective effort, effort and I made an equal contribution to it, but even so, after about 10 years of working there i mustered up i and i instinctively knew that this environment wasn't good for my soul and after those 10 years i mustered up enough courage to leave and start my own business and my new business was in the same industry i was selling similar products but i was not competing with my family and even so they felt threatened decided to sue me in an effort to shut me down it was hard season it didn't work But in the process of defending myself, I had already used what little money I had back then to start my business. We then began to rack up huge legal fees. We eventually were forced to sell our 3,000 square foot home in Irvine, California, and move into a cheap 600 square foot, two bedroom, one bath apartment in order to survive. At that time, Andrea's sister was living with us. She was 15, and so with our two young children, there were five of us living in that really small apartment. But even so, even downsizing, we were still having difficult paying our bills and I wasn't sure how we were going to make it. I can't begin to describe how heavy this season was for us and it took a huge emotional toll, particularly on me. I had purchased a van for my business to make sales calls, to deliver products and I can remember vividly one particular day that I felt I just couldn't bear the weight of everything anymore and so I parked my van on the street in a residential neighborhood i jumped into the back of the van i lay down on the floor in a literal fetal position literally fetal position i began to sob uncontrollably in gut-wrenching moans as i cried out to god for help i guess we can substitute my name in genesis 426 and say and at that time gene began to call on the name of the lord Have you ever had an experience like that in your life where you were turned into a crybaby? By the way, I'm using this term, it usually carries a negative connotation, but I'm using it in a very positive sense. Because anything that drives you to cry out to God will turn out to be a good thing in the end. That experience with my family is what led me to become a follower of Jesus and ultimately later on here to Boulder to start Cornerstone. In the Bible, King David was one of the biggest crybabies of them all, and he has an amazing story of being anointed King of Israel by the prophet Samuel. He's only like 15 or 16 years old at this time, but then he spends the next 15 years running for his life because the existing king, King Saul, now wants to kill him. He feels threatened by all of this, and rightly so. A teenager running for his life for the equivalent of half his life. Can you imagine that? I told you God's story is a suspense thriller filled with lots of twists and turns and nail-biting drama, and this is one of them. Many of the Psalms reflect that desperate season in David's life. In Psalm 18.6, David says, "'In my distress I called Kara to call, Uh, to the Lord. I cried to my God for help. From his temple, God heard my voice. My cry came before him into his ears. Now, aren't you glad that God doesn't say to David, stop being such a sissy crybaby. Grow up and act like an adult. God doesn't do this because he never grows weary of our cries. Never. His ear in heaven is always attentive to when we cry out to him for help. We may feel like all we do is cry out to God, that we're weak, but God does not feel that way about us. Listen to this and and take it to the bank. Let it soak in. You are never stronger than when you cry out to God. You are never more grown up than when you cry out to God. No matter how old you become in this life, God will always remain your Abba. That's the Hebrew word for daddy and you will always be his yelled," that's the Hebrew word for child. Can you sit with that for a moment? You are never stronger, you are never more grown up than when you cry out to your Abba, your Daddy, your Heavenly Daddy. Your Heavenly Daddy wants you to cry out to Him because He knows that we all experience these challenging and desperate seasons Of life. When God wrote his suspenseful thriller, he wrote suspense into your story. Did you know that? Psalm 139 verse 16 says, all the days ordained for you were written in God's book before one of them came to be. And so God is never bothered when we cry out to him during our desperate seasons. He's bothered when we don't. Because God is the ultimate comfort during those stormy seasons. God is the one place that we can find refuge from the storms of life. At the beginning of Psalm 18, David says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. In Psalm 17, 6 through 8, David says, I call on you. That's that word, karagan again, to cry out. My God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love. You who save by your right hand, those who take refuge in you from their foes. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow, in the shadow of your wings. In that warm, comforting place under a mother bird's wings. That's the image. In Psalm 61, too, David says, From the ends of the earth I call to you. I call as my heart grows faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the foe. David was on the run for his life for 15 long years, but he always found comfort in the arms of his heavenly daddy because those arms were a place of refuge. So yes, David was one of the biggest crybabies of them all. And that's a good thing because these kind of crybabies will always find comfort. But David wasn't the biggest crybaby of them all. Did you know that? Do you know who that award goes to? Can I get a drum roll? The winner is Jesus, God himself in human form. In Mark chapter 14, verse 33 through 36, Jesus it's the night before he's going to be crucified and he's in the garden of gethsemane he's with his disciples and he goes inside the garden and he says my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death to the point of death he says to them and he tells them stay here and keep watch and going a little further he fell he falls to the ground and he prays that if if it's possible that this hour might pass from him. In other words, there's got to be another way. Can we do this another way? I don't want to do this. And then he cries, Abba, Daddy, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. I don't want to do this. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Now, don't you find it interesting that Jesus doesn't cry out to God in the presence of his disciples. I mean, wouldn't that be a good role modeling for a mentor to do at that moment? Hey guys, this is how you cry to God when you're overwhelmed with life. But in reality, going off by himself was the best role modeling. This was not a time for Jesus to teach anything. This was a time for Jesus to freak out. And in his darkest hour, Jesus knew only crying out to his daddy would suffice. So many times we feel like we always have to be on for those around us. Well, this isn't show time for Jesus. This is daddy time. He's desperate. He's overwhelmed to the point of death. He's so stressed out here and has such a difficult task before him. He's having an emotional breakdown. I mean, that's really what he's doing. He's having an emotional breakdown and he's asking his dad for a a way out. Many of you listening to this message have been there and done that. Jesus will cry out to God in desperation two more times and the degree of stress he's feeling is so overwhelming. He begins to, to, uh, blood begins to, to seep out of his pores. And if you think about this, I mean, he came to earth to die, didn't he? That was his mission. So really? It turns out that God is really just a big crybaby? Well, yes. And aren't you glad he is? Because now God knows firsthand how painful these seasons of life are for us. And he can personally sympathize with us during our desperate seasons. And when we cry out to Him, He doesn't shame us for being a big crybaby. Neither is He annoyed with how often we cry out for help. He's our heavenly daddy, who's a great listener and an incredible sympathizer and a safe place of refuge. And most importantly, He's our rescuer as well. All right, you familiar with the metaphor, I've reached the end of my rope? I mean, think about it. Just get that visual in your head, okay? What, what should be created is someone slowly slipping down a rope because of this desperate situation they're in. But now they're, they've reached the bottom, the end of their rope, and they're dangling perilously high above the ground. And if they let go, they're going to fall to their death. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. I've inserted my name too many times into this verse over my lifetime. Should we insert yours today? Are you at the end of your rope today? Your heavenly daddy knows exactly what you're going through, what you're feeling, and what you need. Before I end in prayer, I want to read a section again out of Psalm 18. It was one of the psalms I read earlier, but we started in the middle and then went to the beginning. I want to run right through the first six verses. Um, Listen to how it starts. It's a psalm of David, it says. Servant of the Lord, he sang this song to the Lord on the day the Lord rescued him from all of his enemies and from King Saul. So, this is after spending years, you know, 10, 20 years or so, of David having pretty serious seasons of discouragement in his life. And he wrote so many Psalms about wanting to be rescued. And I want to ask you do you need to be rescued from something today? I want you to listen. What his song says. He starts by saying, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. I called on the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and He saved me from my enemies. The ropes of death entangled me. Are you at the end of your rope? The ropes of death entangled me, he says. Floods of destruction swept over me. The grave wrapped its ropes around me. Death laid a trap in my path. But in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help, and He heard me from His sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears." You know, it's, it's interesting that when we're, we're struggling in these seasons, we tend to want to hang on to the rope, all the way to the bottom of it, but you know the way to be liberated from this is to just let go and trust God. And fall into his loving arms your rock your fortress your shield your Savior and the only one true place that you can find protection and safety under his wings let's pray Lord we thank you for this basic word Korah, in modern Hebrew, it's kore or likro to call. It simply means to call, but in biblical days, in ancient Hebrew, Kora much of the time, meant to cry out during difficult seasons. And so I'm really speaking today for those who are in one of those seasons right now. And if you haven't been in one, you will be. And I pray for those men and women who are desperate right now, discouraged, feeling at the end of their rope, that you would just speak to their hearts, speak to their souls right now. Speak words of deliverance to them. Give them the courage just to let go and to cling to you instead of the rope. And we pray most of all, Lord, that they would have hope and that they would see your deliverance come to play as soon as possible. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.